4: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a market market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I good want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at you, Kramer. Today, we got a bit of a reprieve from the indiscriminate selling that we've been seeing. And you know what? The averages sold off harder earlier in the session, but then they did a little rebound. Dow ultimately closing down just 107 points. S&P losing 0.75%. NASDAQ tumbling 1.14%. But that was was not as bad as it once was. Some of this is because the market's already been hard hit ahead of tomorrow's Federal Reserve meeting, which we know is incredibly important. But make no mistake, we are headed for what I think is a true make-or-break moment as you will hear later in the show. If you think the Fed will keep pumping lots of liquidity into the system by buying bonds and keeping rates low, then stocks can go back to normal, especially the most fanciful high flyers. But with inflation raging, and it is, plus it is, There's a very good chance the Fed will start tapping the brakes on the economy, which is why I keep telling you it's time to own companies with real profits that make things and return the profits to shareholders. Remember, you can divide the stock world into two kinds of stories. You've got the cycles that depend on a strong economy, and you've got the secular growth stories that can work even when business slows down. Let's say you've got a company that sells razors and razor blades, that's secular you're going to need the same number of razor blades, even in a slowdown. On the other hand, a company that sells, say, high-end furniture is cyclical. you have a lot more likely to shell out for new furnitures when the economy's hung. One's at discretion, right? The other's not discretion. But when you're worried about the future, when you fear you might lose your job, you're not going to spend much on fancy furniture at home or at work. Think about Williams-Sonoma, which makes tremendous home furnishings. A few weeks ago, when we were a lot less worried about a Fed-mandated slowdown, we spoke to the CEO, Laura Albert. Remember we were out in San Francisco? She had just delivered some amazing earnings, much better than anyone was looking for. At the same time, Wall Street was willing to pay a lot for those earnings. Williams-Sonoma is a dynamite company, consistent track record, so the stock was being valued at roughly just 15 times earnings. I figured that the price... To earnings or PE multiple was too low, given the strength of business. I thought it could expand to be worth maybe 20 times earnings, which would then take the stock from 215 at the time to above 280. In other words, pay more for those same earnings. Fast forward a few weeks, and the world has changed. Wall Street has collectively decided that we can't count on a humming economy because the Fed needs to hit the brakes in order to tamp down inflation. The only question is how hard they hit the brakes. That means we could be heading for a situation where both consumers and businesses are a lot more concerned about the future. So rather suddenly, eh, no, no, virtually overnight, the markets turned against the Williams-Sonomas and everything like it. That's because we're no longer as confident in the future earnings. And even though the estimates haven't come down, we're paying much less for them. Now the stock, without any negative news, just that last quarter, which was so good. That same stock is selling for 12 times earnings. That's a big decline from where it was trading a few weeks ago and, of course, a much lower rate than the 20 times earnings I was hoping for after they reported that great quarter, but before the Fed got serious about inflation. The brutal math of multiple contraction has taken williams number from $215 down to $170. Wow. Of course, so far, nothing has actually changed at the actual company. In fact, I bet it might be doing even better than we thought, given all the reports about Christmas spending. Doesn't matter, though. The market has spoken. Wall Street no longer cares about the current quarter to date because it's worried about the, what Christmas will look like. And frankly, people don't think the thing's going to be that good. People simply won't pay as much for the same earnings when inflation's accelerated accelerating and everybody expects the Fed to get more aggressive about tightening. Now, that's not the only thing that changes when the Fed decides to get tough. Many stocks that have become public this, have come public this year, they belong to what we call the fast-growing enterprises, including tons that are still a long, long, long way from turning a profit, especially the SPACs. These new issues from the class of 2021, they don't trade on earnings for the most part. There are no earnings. At best, they trade on sales. They have huge losses, though in some cases, there are not even any sales. Now, here's the thing about price to sales stocks, which is the only metric you can use. When the Fed's your friend Wall Street's willing to go easy on these things, investors pay up for a stock of a super-fast-growing company, even when there are no earnings to speak of, and that's how you get all these high-flying cloud stocks with double-digit price-to-sales multiples. But now that the Fed's accommodation looks like it's running its course, this group of high-flyers, it has really gone down and out on the Wall Street fashion show. The market is no longer willing to be patient with hard-to-understand tech stocks that have no earnings and never return any capital to shareholders via buybacks or dividends. Market's done with those. Stocks that would go up on spectacular sales numbers four weeks ago now get pummeled for delivering those exact same numbers. Suddenly, the group is being judged by different standards. The result? It's chaos out there. The price of sales multiples, as opposed to the price-to-earnings multiples, keep plummeting because money managers don't want to try to even figure out a valuation for these enterprises in this kind of environment. They don't want to bother with them, so they just sell them. And it's not just tech. JP Morgan just published a piece called Starbucks versus, uh, versus Dutch Bros., that's BROS. With Dutch Bros being the ultra fast growing Oregon based coffee chain, and of course, we know Starbucks. Right now, it looks like Starbucks is $104 per share in 2023. This company is as consistent as a high end coffee chain can get. So Wall Street's willing to give it a high valuation. Starbucks trades at roughly 28 and a half times earnings, giving you $114 stock. But how about the Dutch Bros? As much as I like their high octane annihilator coffee, you can't judge it by the same yardstick as Starbucks. It's barely making any money, hard to value. But wait a second. Is it going to make more money in the out years? Well, it looks like Dutch Bros won't earn more than a dollar per share until 2025. Now, three months ago, the market was fine with paying up for that kind of speculative growth story. But now that money managers are pulling their horns, nobody wants to take a chance on something like this. So, OK, so now get this. This is how you know how crazy things are. What is the justification for liking Dutch Bros currently at the $49 share price? All right. According to the analyst J.P. Moy. You can justify it based on 2037 numbers. 2037. 2037 numbers when there should be five times as many stores from real profitability. 2037. In fact, when the analyst goes on that goes out that far, they're willing to bless a $59 price target up 10 bucks from here. I only have to hold until 2020, 2037. Hey, let's just take down some annihilators and stay up till then. In boom times, Wall Street gobbles up that kind of optimistic analysis. But when we're worried about a Fed-mandated slowdown and nobody's willing to pay up the the phantom uh, possible earnings more than a decade down the road, well, good luck. The problem right now is that we've literally had hundreds of IPOs this year that are a lot more shaky than Dutch Bros, which is actually a great company, by the way. It's just that the stock doesn't work in the current environment. There are plenty of other newly minted stocks where you can't tell what they do other than that they lose money. We should have lose-money analysts on Wall Street. Just people at each firm that says, I'm the lose-money analyst, because this is the right time for that. Think about it like this. Right now, Wall Street won't even give the fantastic Williams-Sonoma the benefit of the doubt. And that's a well-run, profitable company that's in a straightforward line of business. So just imagine how money managers will treat more conceptual stocks. Upstart, Datadog, JFrog. It's not good. Bottom line. I think this is the new formula. We have to get used to shrinking valuations for fast growers, especially ones that trade to on a price-to-sales basis. Sooner or later, I think this seller it's going to run its course, And I'm still looking for Santa Claus Rally. That hasn't changed. And you'll know later on why. But you've got to beware of multiple contraction, like what I showed you with Williams-Sonoma, in a market that wants rock-solid earnings to apply a PE to, not shaky sales, to create a price-to-sales bubble for. And most importantly, not something that says, if you hold it to 2037, you're going to make 10 bucks. Let's go to Sanj in Ohio. Sanj. Hey, Jim. How are you? Oh, man, I'm great. How about you? Doing great, Jim. Love the show. Love your passion for the show. Thank you. Um,
2: I had a question regarding Crocs. Love the company. Great growth. Tremendous earnings. What do you think about the future of the company?
4: You know, we looked at Crocs just like we were trying to find companies that we felt had come down that were really eventually. And, you know, the group that we are, Ben Stoto, me, the gang, we couldn't get our arms around why Crocs is still this high. We're going to hold off on it. Uh, and I think that part of it is is that we don't wear them, so maybe we are kind of uh, prejudiced. But we think the stock's too high versus the cohort. Let's go to Arthur in Texas, Arthur. Hello, Jim. Arthur,
2: I'm gonna I'm gonna cut right to the chase here. So.
4: Okay, good thing.
2: It, uh, I uh, have been looking at artificial intelligence and robotics, mm-hmm. and I had. <laughs> My eye on C3, but wow, in the last 30 days, it's gone down like 70%. So I'm, I'm trying to find out if C3 AI is... Well, is I've, i got to tell you, it?
4: you are not alone. There are lots of people who thought that this was the answer, in part because Tom Siebel is such a great guy, and he is the CEO and chairman. But if you want AI, I am not going to tell... Hey, by the way, people are saying buy uh, Apple for AI. Buy Nvidia for AI, and let's not outthink this. Kathleen in New York, Kathleen.
1: Oh, happy New Year, Jim, to you and all your loved ones, and thank oh, you for that's... 20 years of a great learning experience for me. Thank
4: you, thank you. I've, I've kind of I've become. Someone called me a fixture today. I said, wait, like that's like. Why don't you turn the light on, I don't want to be a fixture. Oh, I, I want to be a living, breathing thing. Oh, he's oh, a one fixture. One of the best. Now, yeah, look, <laughs> okay. look at all these fixtures we got up here. All right, go ahead.
1: Oh. Well, okay, so here's the question. So with the interest rates and inflation rising, next-generation stock affirm When a new pro- uh, target price is put out on a stock, what
0: is the implied term? Is it next month, next quarter, a year? What are we to think about that, a new that target? That is such a great
4: question. You know what? And Kathleen, I've got to tell you, I try to think that they'll be there in six months. That's the thing I use. Affirm, by the way, there was some negative chatter today that BNPL is being changed to BNNP. Uh, buy now, never pay. Or buy now, pay never, whichever you want to do, whichever makes you suit you. But there's been the long knives are out for buy now, pay later, because we have seen a a big spike in losses at some firms. Not a firm, though. All right, I think the sell-off is going to run its course. You know, I think it's going to be a Santa rally, definitely. But beware of multiple contraction. I needed this whole thing was about how I'm teaching about how somebody will pay something, pay a stock, up here for the exact same earnings that they'll sell a stock account here. And that's what's happening. Well, Man Money Tonight, Wall Street was buzzing about this recent IPO earlier this year, but now the stock has fallen from its highs. So I've got to ask you, with the stock cut in half, is it time to make a new connection with Bumble? Let's check in with the CEO. Then it's been a volatile couple of weeks for tech, but should investors expect a rebound in the end of the year in some of the big tech names? We're going to go off the charts to find out. We'll make it real clinical. And Bow's Health has plans to split up its business into three companies. So is this healthy breakup, something that Wall Street is ready to welcome? Or more importantly, why do they hate it so much? Well, I got the company's top brand, so let's find out. And stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money.
0: Engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
5: With or without COVID... The need for a human connection has never been stronger. Social, professional, or just looking for love. This generation is filling their gaps on this company's apps.
4: Can investors meet their need for growth with Bumble? What do we do with the growth stocks that have really already come down? Used not the ones that came down in the last couple of days, but have been down for a while. Take Bumble, the female-friendly dating app that came public in February, with a stock that's tumbled from seventy dollars on the first day of trading to thirty-five today, cut in half. All right, this one's rough. Just over a month ago, Bumble reported solid but imperfect quarter. Of course, they had a couple things wrong. They all seem to now. Stock did go get eviscerated unfairly, I think, down almost 20% the next day. Because this market has no patience for richly valued growth stocks. Lately, though, the analysts have been circling the wagons around Bumble. It's caught three upgrades from Hold to Buy, and I can get why. This is a company with a nice growth story real earnings, although it might face more near-term volatility thanks to the Omicron strain. Still, I think this could be a strong reopening play as long as you're patient and yet at the right price. But don't let's take it from me. Let's dig deeper with Whitney Wolfherd, who's so great to come on, the founder and CEO of Bumble, to hear more about where the company's headed. Ms. Wolfherd, welcome back to Mad Money.
1: Thanks so much for having me back. Really appreciate it.
4: All right. So let's get let's get the Alfred out of the room over immediately. So Omicron has produced what kind of reaction to your uh, millions of users?
1: So, you know, we are actually in a very fortunate position because we serve people with the opportunity to find connection when there's a lockdown or when the, the markets are completely reopened. So this is not a stay-at-home stock only or reopening stock only. This is a business that truly serves such a wide TAM in all circumstances. Demand does not change when these variants pop up. Demand does not change with different uh, restrictions. People need love. People need connection. That does not go away irrespective of the changing landscape of this pandemic. So our business remains largely unaffected during this new wave.
4: All right, I want to be sure, because when you spoke recently at the Nasdaq Investor Conference, a virtual one, you did mention that in Europe, uh, there are some issues like when restaurants close or some issues in Paris, uh, but you do, again, call it an opportunity that Europe is different, but it's still working for you.
1: So listen, things change, but we have opportunities on both sides of the coin. So what we mean by that is, As restaurants and venues shut down, we might lose our opportunity to send people offline to Bumble meetups or Bumble parties, but we can take that digital. We actually built a bevy of features during the pandemic, such as Night In, which is a game to play with your matches when you're dating from home, or even this reinforced uh, focus around video dating. So even though you might not be able to run down the street to your local cafe, you can still hop on a video date on our products. So the landscape changes, yes. However, we have features and levers to pull when these markets do uh, experience more trouble when it comes to getting people out the door. But then alternatively, what's so interesting about these very same features is how they shape shift when markets open back up. So <clears throat> quick example would be the video chat. When markets open again, as women in particular are ready to go date again, instead of using that video feature to have an at home date, they're using it to vet their matches to make sure they have chemistry before going and wasting an hour of their life at the coffee shop. So it's really fascinating to see how online dating is taking such a front row in people's relationship building during, uh, in the midst of, or even after these markets open and close. Well, I'm glad
4: you brought that up because I, I was perusing, well, your date site. It's not, not anything people can peruse without any sort of uh, implication. It's a new one, This this app. Uh, which was just named uh, Apple, one of the apps of the the year. So, congratulations. I thought two things stood out for me. One, you were able to pick out, detect behavior that violates community guidelines, made me think, I wish Facebook would call you. That would be very valuable. And then the other thing is the artificial intelligence to be able to make it so that you know what's the right foot, you know, digital foot to put forward. These are amazing innovations that I think can spur the daily average user growth that Wall Street wants.
1: Absolutely. And this has been foundational to us from day one. This is why we have grown so well. We have built a product with accountability, better behavior, trust, respect at the helm. We agree that the internet can be a dangerous place, right? And so we want to do everything we can to make safety foundational. And so when we put people together, we really lean into AI and And machine learning to make sure that if you get an inappropriate photo, we blur it and we tell you about it so you do not open it so that you can have a safer, better experience. And everything we do is all through the lens of making sure that you have a more accountable, a safer, a better experience. And then we use machine learning to serve you the best people that you want to see, to really read. And listen to what your interests are, to what you're looking for, and to use our tools to serve these incredible people to you so that you get the most out of this experience in a really safe and empowering way.
4: Right, one last thing, because I know uh, this is very important in our family, and I think I didn't understand that I got school in this. Uh, you talk about the importance to be able to change uh Pronouns. You can now see a person's bio, including pronouns. This is an issue that someone older like I am did not understand. Fortunately, I have kids who explain it to me, but this is very important for people, isn't it?
1: This is very important. And inclusivity is a pillar of ours. So, what you'll see from us in 2022 is an even deeper uh, level of investment into even more inclusive and rewarding products, features, and experiences for all of our members.
4: Well, look, I think the stock is too low. I I did like it higher, so you can take it with a grain of salt. But the stock has come down all the way, but a new app, a lot of exciting things. I really want to thank Whitney Wolford, founder and CEO of Bumble, for coming on Mad Money. It's always great to see you. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much. Long term. This is the long game. I like that.
4: I like that. Guys, look, this is the vast majority of women that you speak to are going to say great things about this. Wall Street is not run by women, unfortunately. If it did, the stock would be higher. But if men were to open their eyes and look at the things that they're doing, I think they'd own the stock, too. May have money's back in
5: Coming up, all hail the Fibonacci Queen. The Chartist sees a pattern in Amazon that could fill your royal coffers.
3: Next.
4: Your bearings in a real roller coaster of a market that we have right now, on the eve of tomorrow's big Fed meeting, which could go either way. I like to fall back on something quantitative, something empirical, something like the technicals. That's why tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Carolyn Broden. She is that brilliant technician. She writes for RealMoney.com. Currently runs the Fibonacci Queen website. Although only until the end of the month, we want to get to before that uh, stand ends. Right now, Broden's bearish on the market, and I can understand why. So can you. But there are a few charts she's stalking where she thinks you could get a buying opportunity in the not-too-distant future. This jives very well, by the way, with the Larry Williams-Santa Claus rally. So keep that in mind, which is about to occur, supposedly, next week, and what she's writing here. Let's start with the larger picture. Check out the weekly chart of the NASDAQ 100, the 100 largest non-financial stocks in the NASDAQ composite, I meaning it's a very tech-heavy index. Tech's been right in the center of the blast radius. Lately. I don't know if you've seen some of the stocks today. Holy cow. The sales forces of the world, one of, this is one of the hardest-hit groups. Now, the Black... Uh, candlesticks are where you're really looking at in terms of the chart. Recently, Broden points out that the NASDAQ 100 resumed its larger uptrend. That's when it bottomed earlier this month. Okay, so we can see that thing coming back. On top of that, there's something else going on here. It's a concept that technicians call symmetry. That's where you look at past swings in a given security and then project the size of current or future swings in the same direction. You'd be surprised how often they're incredibly similar. Does it make sense that the market would behave this way? Well, not if you're a statistician, but lots of patterns in the stock market make no sense when you try to analyze them logically. The fact is, the symmetry does show up all the time, though. Now, Broden points out that two of her prior symmetry projections for the NASDAQ 100 came at the 15,417 to 15,552 area. That's the level she expects this index to change directions. Sure enough, when the NDX was getting beaten down earlier this month, it bottomed at 15,553. Since then, we've already had a pretty healthy rebound off the low, although a decent chunk of that's now been repealed this week. That said, we're still nearly 400 points above the level where this thing bottomed less than two weeks ago, so got a little bit of room from where we were able to rally from. In Broome's view, as long as the floor of the support holds, she thinks the Nasdaq 100 can only resume its long-term rally. And if we get back into bull mode, then she wouldn't be surprised if the thing couldn't only take us all the way back to all the way up to 17,000, 17,500. These are levels that you would never think would happen if the Fed tightens, correct? These are the targets she comes with by measuring past swings and then running them through the prism of Fibonacci numbers. An important series of ratios discovered by the medieval godfather of mathematics, Leonardo Fibonacci. Yet another weird pattern that shows up all the time in the stock market. However, Brodin's not ready to endorse buying the NASDAQ 100 yet. Remember, she's in bear mode. She's willing to recommend this index as long as the floor supports holds. But first, that floor needs to be tested. And that's why she's waiting for a pullback to the 15400 to 15500 area. Then if that holds, she's willing to get more positive. So we've got this would again keep in mind the Larry Williams bottom and this would be the same time. All right. Now, Next up, check out this daily chart of Amazon, which should have been flying. Everyone thought this would be the right time to own it, right? This is another one that Broden's watching, waiting for better buying opportunity. doesn't have it yet. After Amazon's big decline earlier this month, she sees some hope for the stock, although, like the NASDAQ 100, it still hasn't thrown a buy signal. However, Broden points out that Amazon's had a prior swing down this May where it fell 426 right here. Okay. That's very similar in size to the decline in December. Um, you know, then you can see 423. Isn't the incredible look? One's down 423, and one's down 426. That's the symmetry. Yet another example of classic symmetry. Now, after finding that low... A week and a half ago, now you're going back here, Amazon quickly tacked on more than $200, although it's pulled back since then. A lot of these things were of interest when they come in on Monday. They kind of gave up some of the charts that we were looking at, but we redid them. Not only was there price support on the chart, but also noticed that there was a confluence of Fibonacci timing cycles, and that's these right here. The same kind of analysis she uses for price, except applied to the x-axis of the chart. Time. She had a bunch of these timing cycles coming due between December 1st and December 3rd. Whenever she gets a cluster of these things, it's often a sign that the stock is about to change course, which is exactly what happened to Amazon. That's why Brodin considers it a pivotal low. Pivotal low right here. Just like with the NASDAQ 100, she's been waiting for that low to be tested. Thanks to the recent pullback, we're very close to that level. However, just retesting the low is not enough. Brodin wants to see Amazon do something else before she's willing to go bullish. She's looking for a buy trigger. And her favorite buy trigger involves a particular moving average crossover. She likes to watch the 30 minute chart. That's a chart where each tick represents 30 minutes of trading and then waits for the eight period exponential moving average to cross over the 34 period exponential moving average. That's how she knows that the momentum has turned positive. Until she sees that crossover, she can't give Amazon a full throated endorsement. Unfortunately, we're not there yet. But her Fibonacci timing cycle suggests that the stock could potentially bottom sometime in the next couple of days. Possibly, it already did earlier today. Now, once again, in keeping with the Santa Claus rally, that's the point I'm doing this for—to tell you that there's, there is some grounding in the charts. If the action turns positive and we do get our buy trigger, Broden says Amazon could eventually make its way to just under 3,900. However, if the stock fails to hold its support in you know, this floor, meaning if it closes down more than a few po- points below where it's currently trading, then it does ruin the whole bull thesis. In fact, if Amazon pulls back a bit more from these levels, Broden says you need to expect substantially more downside. I am not looking for that. Just so you know, Childress has a substantial position in Amazon. Not looking for that decline. All right. Well, let's do one more. I want you to take a look at the weekly chart of the Russell 2000. That's the small cap index that's been obliterated lately. Specifically, this is iShares Russell 2000 ETF. I know a lot of people watch this and gets talked about it a lot during the side. So. According to Broden, this thing has a key floor of support at the 211 to 212 level. So you see, here's the support right below where it's currently trading. That floor has been holding. Plus, the recent decline has lasted three weeks, which is roughly the same duration as a couple of prior declines. Again, symmetry, symmetry, symmetry. In each of those cases, the Russell 2000 was able to resume its march higher there and then goes up there and then goes up, which she's thinking maybe, right? As long as this index can hold above its floor support, Broden thinks it can only make a run at 253. That would be a huge gain which would be very nice move and kind of just like what she thinks could happen to Amazon. She, again, though, she wants to wait for a buy trigger in the form of an exponential moving average crossover over the 30-minute chart. We obviously, we absolutely aren't there yet. Plus, if the Russell 2000 floor support breaks, well, you know, then we're in for some serious pain. You know, technicians think, OK, that's not right. You know, to me, goes down. We buy more because we've got quality names. This is different. Here's the bottom line. The chart's interpreted by Carolyn Baroden, suggest suggests that the tech-heavy Nasdaq 100, the small-cap-filled Russell 2000, and even Amazon are all approaching make-or-break moments. If they can hold above their recent lows, she thinks they can resume their long-term rallies. But if they take more punishment, then she thinks it'll get worse. It's a binary setup, but it still makes a lot of sense to me although I am less sanguine about most tech and most small-cap companies that don't make stuff or do things or lose money. They are not where you should be, and we are tired of them. All right, let's go to Ann in Indiana. Ann.
1: Jim, so grateful to speak with you with uh, all that's going on right now.
4: Well, oh, thank you. Thank you. What's going on?
1: So, Palo Alto Network, speaking of, violating my basis, but wondering if and when I should do that.
4: Uh, Look, I think Palo Alto Networks is swell. I really believe that when I deal with Nikesh Aurora, I get the sense that he really has the ultimate model, both on-prem and the cloud. He's doing better than the cloud-native companies in the cloud. That needs to be noticed. I think that if you buy some right here, right here, I think you'll be okay. Uh, I really believe that. Down 22 points. The best in show. Okay, thank you for those nice comments. Right now, the charts suggest that the NASDAQ 100, the Russell 2000, and Amazon are approaching make or break moments. Now remember, I'm not into the companies that are losing money. However, Amazon's doing anything but losing money. Mad Money's back. Right after this, we've got, oh wow, my exclusive with Bausch Health. Could the company behind your favorite eye care uh, be something worth eyeing into the breakup at six times earnings? Then last night, I had the opportunity to see Elon Musk speak at the time person at your event. I'm sharing what I learned from the visionary CEO, and he's a visionary. And the waiter calls rapid fire in tonight's just The Lightning Round, so stay with Kramer. If another day where the high-flying tech stocks let us lower, it's getting pretty ugly out there. I think you've got... Got to keep pivoting from the conceptual stocks to the more tangible ones. That's what I keep saying to you. Companies that make real products with stocks that trade on real earnings. Which brings me to Bausch Health Companies. That's a drug company forming me known as Valiant, which uh, With a stock that sells, I, frankly, this is unbelievable to me. This may be the lowest stock to- on a price-earnings ratio in the entire stock market. S- less than six times earnings. More importantly, Bausch has a catalyst. It's breaking them into three separate businesses at some point in the first quarter of next year. Bausch and Loan for eye care, Bausch Pharma for drugs, which is going to have another name once they get it on, and Salt to Medical for medical aesthetics, which is really top of its field. I'm a big believer in the idea that companies can unlock value by splitting themselves up into more bite-sized enterprises that can focus on what they do best. So let's check in with Joe Papa. He's the chairman and CEO, and a frequent guest of you know, of uh, Man Bunny of Bausch Health Companies to get a better sense of the three-way breakup. Joe, welcome back to Man Bunny. Hi, Jim. It's great to be with you today. All right, so Joe, I, I, you got to help me here. You got you have Sultan. This thing is selling at twenty-seven percent organic growth. You have a pharma business with some franchises that are unassailable that no one competes. And Bausch is the single best name in eye care. Any one of these should be a premium multiple. And you traded six times earnings. Joe, you got the floor. I don't get it.
2: Well, Jim, I'm going to go back to your comments in May of 2016 when I joined. And you you talked about some of the challenges I faced. You clearly said I had too much debt. You're absolutely correct. And that was like $30 plus billion. You said I had multiple investigations over the past five years. What have I done? I've worked on reducing that debt. I brought the debt down by $10 billion. But there's still, there's still something we need to do further. Number two, we've resolved the legacy legal issues that the company had. And number three, and most importantly, we returned the company to organic growth. So those are the things that we've done. And now we think by putting the business in a position that allows us to separate into Three great companies. That's what we think will really unlock the value. And the good news is we're right on the threshold today and over the next 30 to 60 days to unlock these companies. We're really excited about it.
4: All right, now, Do we really know that it's going to be between now and say the end of January that we're going to start? Because I think a lot of people are saying, I'll, I'll wait till it happens. I think that's a mistake to try to wait.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a fair comment, Jim. As you know, you've been around this market a long time. It's always market conditions permitting. But market conditions permitting, we're really excited. We've done all the technical activities that need to happen for the Solta IPO. We've done all the technical activities necessary for the Bausch and Lam IPO. Uh, obviously, you have to wait until the appropriate market conditions, but we're going to be ready to go. And we we've talked about a Solta IPO. We've talked about the Bausch & Uh IPO. We're going to get started in January. Once again, market conditions permitting, we're excited about what the opportunity is. To create a pure play eye health company with Bausch and Lomb, the Salta medical aesthetics business with a significant, as you said, it was 27 percent year to date growth. And of course, we still will have the the Bausch Pharma remaining company that is going to be a diversified global
4: pharmaceutical company. So we have three great companies in front of us because Salta's first in line. Let's just go over that. I mean, you've got a a franchise right now. If you look at the other ones, if you look at AbbVie's, if you look at what uh, Brent Saunders has in his SPAC, you come back and you say, if you talk to any dermatologist, the stuff that is most in use other than Botox is all salt stuff. Why is that not getting out? Why is it not getting out that Fraxel is a major anti-cancer and, and skin saver? And, it's, and no one seems to know that you own it.
2: So we're getting the message out as we go through the process to get the IPO for Solta ready. We go through a number of discussions with analysts, with the test awards, with investors. I think all of that is happening as we speak now. But you're right. We've got some great franchises in the Thermage, the Fraxel, Clear and Brilliant the Salta business is one that we're very excited about being able to talk more about with investors as we go through an IPO process. I'm somewhat limited to what I can talk about other than historic, but the historic numbers are very strong. Uh, it's had a company in your growth rate over the past three, four years, somewhere in the 30 plus percent. The EBITDA has grown even faster. So we're really excited about being able to tell that story and especially Uh, what we can do with the expansion of the geographic footprint. We're really strong in the U.S. with SOLTA. We're very strong in Asia with SOLTA. But we have a big opportunity in Latin America and Europe with SOLTA. So a very exciting opportunity for us. And look forward to telling more about that. Once again, market conditions permitting.
4: All right, so one last question. Five years ago, we talked about the debt. You did cut it by 10 you know, I think there's still a little too much, but I'm getting that really from you because you say you still got to do more work on the debt side. Is there any particular part that people have to be concerned about that may have more debt or the agencies have basically laid it out and you're going to make it so all three companies will not be hobbled by a bad balance sheet?
2: Yeah, so I, to your comment, exactly correct. We've we've got it down by 10 billion more to do. But once again, the proceeds from the IPO, of the salt business, the proceeds from the IPO from Bausch & Lomb will enable us to pay down additional debt on Bausch Pharma. Our expectation is that Bausch & Lomb will have a pure play eye health company as a great 168 year legacy of historic innovation. We're gonna be able to go out with that in a debt situation of less than 2.5 turns of leverage. So clearly we think we will solve those two issues. And of course, using the IPO proceeds to pay down the Bausch Pharma, the diversified company, remaining company. We we'll think that all those will make it be able to create, as I said before, three great companies.
4: No, I agree. I was talking with Jeff Marks, who is the senior portfolio manager for my child trust this morning when we we're prepping for this. I said, look, we got to add this to the bullpen, Joe. I don't get it. But when I don't get it, what that usually means is it's too cheap. I got to buy it. Joe Papa, who is the chairman and CEO of Vals Health in five years, has done everything that I asked him to do and far more. Joe, it's always great to see you. Great to see you, Jim. Thank you very much. Everybody's worried about losing money in the market now. I'm still worried about making money in the market. This is how you make money in the market. Buy something that everybody hates, that you know has great franchises. Man, money's back differently.
5: Coming up, a storm is coming. So give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to all your burning questions. The lightning round is next.
4: It is time to the lightning round! And then the lighting round is over. Are you ready to keep that time light round, Crimson? I with Robert, Illinois. Robert!
2: Hey, Booyah Jim. Booyah. Uh, we know that quantum is the future of computing, but is it too early to get moving in this one? I've been getting whacked ticker I-O-N-Q. Well, you got it. I
4: mean, that's the problem. Everyone wants quantum computer. I went out there with NVIDIA looking for quantum computer. We own Honeywell for Action Allura. What? Whoa, terrible trust. Now, here's the problem. There is no play on quantum computing right now. None. Including that one. There's no play. There's just hype. We don't want hype. Let's go to Mike in New York. Mike.
3: Hi, Jim. Good evening. Nice talking to you. How are you?
4: I am good. How about you, Mike?
3: Thank you very much. Jim, I have one
0: question about uh, Robin
4: Hood. Oh, Robin Hood. Well, look, I mean, the stock is, look, I can make the same comment for the last 10 points. It is so down. How do you not take a shot at it? The answer is we don't take shots at things. We're looking for fundamental reasons to own something. My Chapel Trust owns Morgan Stanley. Bet with them, not with Robin Hood. Because it's not a bet, it's an investment. Chris in Florida, Chris!
2: Hey, Jim, Chris from Jacksonville, Florida. Great job you're doing with the CNBC Investing Club. I love the Thanks club. For Thank you. I'm loving the club. What's up? Hey, a quick question. I'm McAfee, MCFE. Bought it before the X date. Me Super no like dividend. McAfee.
4: You need to be in Norton LifeLock. You're a member of the club. You know that Norton LifeLock, when that deal closes, going right to 30. Straight shot. Greg in Georgia. Greg. Hey, Jim, how are you doing? I'm having a good time. How about you, Greg? Oh, uh, great. Jim am doing great. So uh, my question is, what are your thoughts on Western Union? This right. w- stock U? is so darn cheap that I have to believe that Ersic does something. I have to, have to, have to. I would not sell this stock at $18. John in Nevada. John.
3: Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my phone call. Hey, um, I love the dividend that this stock is paying. What do you think about Royal Dutch Shell?
4: Royal Dutch is a fraction of the mental firepower that Mike Worth brings to Chevron. We've been buying Chevron for the club, for the Channel Trust. Why? Much better, much more disciplined than Shell, much better capital allocation, and still good yield. That's the one to buy. Barbara in Texas. Barbara. Hey, Jim, uh, Investing Club member here. Yes. So grateful for what you do for us. Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: Oh, Jim, the pain, the pain. I have dust Doximity. Doximity is
4: a good darn company. I don't know how to get the address changed. It is so good. Oh, my. I am I am betwixt in between. That is a great company with great advertising. So it was downgraded the other day by a major firm to a sell. I think Doximity's got a lot of good things going for it, but it's caught up in this whole multiple contraction on price to sales that nothing works at. Don't know what else to say. How about Paul in Texas, Paul? Oh yeah, Kramer. Oh yeah.
2: This stock has dropped more than thirty percent in the last month. I want to know if you're a buyer now of Marathon Digital. Well,
4: M-A-R-A. it, it's a proxy. It's just a proxy for this stuff. Uh, you want crypto? You buy crypto. That's as it, simple as it. You like crypto? Own crypto. And that lays them inclusion of the lightning round.
5: The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
4: went to watch Elon Musk win the Time Person of the Year Award last night. Expected a great show, in part because Musk got a talent for showmanship, but also because there was a decent chance he might not even attend the big event at the Nasdaq Auditorium, so there was a dazzling surprise factor. We weren't disappointed. He did come, and he was mesmerizing. And That's not just because he brought his son, XAE-12, whom he seemed to be calling X. Uh, Edward Felsenthal, who is a terrific editor-in-chief, interviewed Musk, and he did an excellent job of keeping him on ground where he would be comfortable but could expand upon. The previous interview followed a Q&A uh, with the unforgettable Frances Helgen. She's that Facebook whistleblower. You might have seen her in Congress. Musk apparently is not a fan of Facebook at all. He disparaged it by pointing out that, according to his calculations, it costs five times more to place an ad that is empathetic than one that is antagonistic. In other words, the site inspires anger, not serenity. Look, I get where he's coming from, although I'm not sure it's Facebook's fault that horrible content tends to drive engagement. Back when I was a beat reporter specializing in homicide, the gorier story was the better I'd be compensated. In other words, Facebook's a bit of a mirror. Then must freely associated about technology that seemed like magic to him, and magic that seemed like technology Somehow he tied in his favorite franchise, The Lord of the Rings. As X climbed all over him, grabbing the mic periodically, he mused that he was a big Gandalf fan. I looked around the room and I heard that. I saw only smiles, head nods. I guess we were all taken. Musk spoke about his love of rockets and how happy he was that non-astronauts could go into space. I happened to have a couple of non-astronauts at the table next to me who had been propelled by a Musk rocket. They were beaming. They had a great time up there. But he didn't seem to get truly serious about the whole thing until he was asked about Tesla. The first point he made had to do with the nature of autonomous driving. He thinks it's just a matter of time until we realize that an AI-driven car is much safer than a human car. Because machines don't get drunk, they don't drive when they're half asleep. Look, we've lost millions of people to car accidents around the world over the years, yet this is somehow never part of the discourse around autonomous driving. He wants to change that. Eventually, we are going to get to a point where autonomous cars can simply anticipate things far better than human, uh, human-driven ones. Now, we know that NVIDIA says that's here already. Musk has become a real evangelist for this technology, and honestly, I think we need it because every time there's an autonomous driving accident, the press treats it like it's the end of the world. Even though accidents, fatal accidents, happen routinely with human drivers, they don't even get in the papers anymore. We need Musk to champion this cause, and we need others to follow. It's a great one for mankind. Musk also talked positive about the auto industry, even though he didn't yet know when Tesla's pickup truck would come out. I'm not too worried about the schedule, given their terrific track record. The interview didn't last that long. I got the feeling that exit had enough. So his dad had, too. But one thing's for certain. There was no one in the room that wasn't charmed by the soft spoken genius who may just be far more of a regular person than the person of the year. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise trying I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.
3: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.